morning again. Am I on, guys? Yeah. You know, have you ever had one of those mornings where just you're running around like crazy and nothing's working? I mean, nothing's working. You know what I'm talking about? You just have those times. And you know, sometimes it can make you frustrated, and sometimes you, you, you kind of lose track of time. And, and uh, But this morning, even though that was one of those mornings for me, and I was frustrated. It's kind of like God kind of kept me cool. I could not find a printer this morning that worked. Um, and so uh, I'm going to be using a laptop uh, this morning. We couldn't get the internet to work anywhere. We couldn't get a printer to work. And last night I made some changes to my message. And so not a huge deal, but small things like that can, can often uh, get in the way of what God wants us to do and can throw us off completely. This morning, we're going to be talking about what it means to live pro-life. What it means to live pro-life. The pro-life movement has really increased, especially over the last 10 years. It's increased even uh, with videos coming out over this past year showing what, in fact, one of the abortion organizations does uh, in the United States. And I want to talk a little bit about abortion at the beginning of our message, but I really want to focus on five things this morning about living pro-life. Let me read for you a verse of Scripture. This is a very grim, terrible verse of Scripture found in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 106, it says, They mingled with the nations and learn their works. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, desecrating the land with bloodshed. Now, honestly, we don't, we don't preach a lot of messages on texts like these anymore. Maybe there was a day in America, but we don't go there a lot. You might read this passage of Scripture and think that's some kind of pagan cult that's doing that. But that was God's people who had gotten so far away from them. That's Israel. That's what they were doing. They were not living pro-life at all. It's a warning to us of what can happen when we get away from God and what can happen when sin is let loose. I want to address abortion very briefly, the horror of what is going on uh, in our society, because that's the main reason that Sanctity of Life Sunday was started. And that's the reason that thousands and thousands of churches across America observe this day to start the year out recognizing the dignity and the sanctity of human life in the face of the evil of abortion and what is going on in our country and across the world. But I agree with Dr. Moore, Dr. Russell Moore, when he says this. I hate Sanctity of Life Sunday because I'm reminded that we have to say things to one another that human beings shouldn't have to say. No human life is worthless regardless of skin color, age, disability, economic status. The very fact that these things must be proclaimed is a reminder of the horrors of this present darkness. We can lie to ourselves and say that we are in the most civilized 
society that's ever been. And indeed, America is a great country. But we live in an age where there is, in fact, gross evil. Abominations that are going on during our lives. It's a disease, and I want to talk to you about this disease of abortion. We've seen over the last few years and months many events of, of terrorists here at home and in America and around the world. Chattanooga, Tennessee, San Bernardino, Paris, France, recent examples. And even though it seems like sometimes the news media wants to milk these opportunities as much as they can to get ratings and money, they still are informing us of what's going on. They are shedding light on these situations, and that's how we know about them. That's how we become outraged. It's because light is shown on them. The situation in Paris, for instance, was covered nonstop for days and weeks, and you may re remember the intensity of how that story was covered and people's reactions. And not to take away from such horrors, but it got me to thinking that if we covered the story, the, the real story of abortion in America, the way that these stories about terrorism were, were covered, and we thought about the numbers in similar ways, it'd give us a different perspective, a different visual for the actual loss of human life. For instance, speaking of terrorism, and I pray that these kind of, what I'm about to describe to you never, ever happens, but I want to give you a visual. Because this is the truth, folks. This, this is what is going on. There's no, this is not me making it up. This is what is happening this very day in our country and around the world. What if today, what if this year, over the next 12 months, each month, a city in America of 100,000 people were wiped away by a plague or by a terrorist attack? A city of 100,000 people were gone each and every month. What would the news stories look like? Cities like Green Bay, Wisconsin, Columbia, Missouri, College Station, Texas. What if every couple of months, cities like Monroe, Louisiana, or Texarkana, Arkansas, or even Little Rock were wiped completely off the map? What would the coverage of those stories look like? What if even, what if sometime in 2016, a population the size of Memphis, Tennessee Metro, 1.2, 1.3 million, somewhere in there. What if a population that size were completely wiped off of the map? Do you think America would be traumatized? Look at 9-11, how 15 years later we still remember that horrific event and we still talk about that and it's still reported in the news and so much of our lives have changed because of that. And that was 3,000 souls that lost their lives that day. You know what? It happens every single day in America. Over 3,000 lives. The most vulnerable are lost in America. It is a wretched evil. What would our outrage be like? What would our horror be like if we reported it in this way, if we thought about it in this way? When you and I go to the doctor, sometimes they have us take tests to see if we have some kind of disease, to see if we have some kind of cancer going on in our body. We have to do a test because we can't see it with our eyes until it's too late. We could have a cancer in our body that is destroying us. And we might not even know it because it's shrouded in darkness. 
Right now, America and the world have a most evil disease, the greatest evil of our age, and it is called abortion. Over the last 40 years, one half of a billion, 500 million innocent human lives have been destroyed for one reason or another. Having said that, please allow me to make two applications very quickly as we move on from the topic of of abortion and, and such debt. First is an application to prayer. I want to ask you to join me in prayer in 2016. It's January. It's the beginning of the year. I want to ask you to join me in serious prayer that God would rise up and defend the unborn. I'm optimistic. I've seen some things in our society over the last few years that makes me optimistic that maybe, just maybe, by God's grace, within my lifetime, I could see the end of legalized abortion in America. And guess what, folks? If America leads the way on it, there's no telling what could happen in other parts of the world. We play a very important role in this battle against Satan and the forces of evil. So I'm calling you to pray with me. Make prayer serious. We also need to pray for those who have been affected by this evil or who have participated in it, that God would touch their hearts and their minds to know that there is forgiveness for them at the cross. Amen? That there is no sin big enough that the cross cannot handle. And that God wants to enlist them in the fight as well. God wants to use them and to redeem what this evil has broken. And so we need to pray. You and I can choose to ignore this evil. We can try to live comfortably. But I fear when we get to heaven one day, God may ask each of us, did you even pray that I would save them? Did you cry out at all? Or were you just cold and hardened and busy by the other things you thought were important? Secondly, an application to politics. When it comes to our national security, we have to fight terrorism. I believe that. I understand that. Terrorism is serious, but the terrorists haven't come anywhere close to murdering 50-plus million American citizens. We've done that to our own. And we've paid for it to happen around the world. What we need to do and we need to pray for, and I don't care if we're in Arkansas and we're not a swing state, it doesn't matter. God will swing based on your prayers. God will rise up because of your prayers. And so our role, and you as an individual, your prayers are important. And what we need to do is we need to pray seriously. And we need to find and we need to vote for and we need to promote policies and people in our nation's government and leadership who understand the nature of human life and will fight for the least among us, for those who have no voice. Let me tell you, folks, if someone will play politics with the life of a child in the womb, how can you trust them in anything else? I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying. If you can't get that right, how do any of your other policies make sense? Because you don't know what a human life is. Fighting abortion is not some political issue. It's an issue of the rights and survival of humanity. So you and I, I'm calling you, I'm begging you, you and I need to make whatever influence in whatever 
or with whoever we can. We need to make it a main issue in our lives because it's not merely a political issue. It's a main issue. Being pro-life means that you are engaging in the fight against the evil of abortion. There's no way around that. But having said all that, living pro-life also means some other things. The first is that living pro-life means that you're loving your neighbor. Living pro-life means you're loving your neighbor. That's the heart of the pro-life movement. That's the heart of the pro-life Christian. Mark 12, 31, Jesus said the second commandment, the second great commandment is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Being pro-life is not just a view against abortion. It is a view advocating and respecting and loving and honoring the lives of all. It means that Christians fight against human trafficking. It means that we honor and we help those who have disabilities. It means we are against racism and bullying. It means that we honor the elderly and we treat them with respect. It means that we show concern for the poor and the needy. It means that we help children who need to be fostered or adopted. It means that there should be no elitism or arrogance in us that looks down on anyone, but rather respects and shows love to them all. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 16, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Jesus said that we are even to love our enemies. And he said to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Living pro-life is the same as loving your neighbor. Secondly, living pro-life means that there's urgent action. Living in a fallen and sinful world, we Christians, we have to be urgent in seeing the needs and answering the call. This takes wisdom and it takes discernment as well. But it takes obedience, urgent obedience to God's call. Fighting abortion, for instance, is not something that we have a choice about. We can't turn our heads away or put our heads in the sand. Too many churches have done that in the past. They're choosing to tackle less offensive or more politically correct battles. Choosing to focus instead on only alleviating the poor or alleviating poverty, which is a good cause. But they fail to understand the logic that somebody doesn't even have the opportunity to be poor if they never have the opportunity to live. Amen? I mean, that's just, that's just common sense. Some pro-life battles are more urgent for the church to engage in with everything we have. And we need to let God show us, lead us what the priorities are. Jesus once told a story in Luke chapter 10 about a Samaritan. It's on the screen here. He told a story about a Samaritan man. He said, once a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him. They beat him up. And they fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A priest. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, his own countryman, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan was the person that, that, that the Jews who Jesus was speaking to, the Samaritans were the lowly people. They were the half-breeds. They were the people that didn't worship God in the way that, that the Israelites did. And so they were of a lower class. But a Samaritan, Jesus says, while traveling, came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring oil 
and wine on him. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these, Jesus asked, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. This Samaritan man saw the urgent need of the beaten man to be sheltered, to be fed, to be clothed, medical attention. And what this Samaritan did was he gave up his time and his money and his emotion and his energy to love that man. He did not turn away or put his head in the sand as the other two men did. And so the question, as always with this story, is this. Which of the three men are we? Which of those three characterizes us? Are we those who walk by on the other side? Are we those who turn our heads? Or are we those who see the need and take urgent action to meet the need that God is showing us we need to meet to be His hands and feet in this world? Which are you? Are you saying that you're pro-life, but you're not fighting and you're not praying about abortion or being invested in loving your neighbor in other pro-life ways? Now's the day to turn that around. Now's the day to get energy about that. Now's the day to get excited about that. God has called you to this. This is an exciting life to live. There's nothing, there's no more valuable a lifestyle that you and I can live than a life that treasures other human beings. Amen? It's time that we left the past behind and moved forward into the urgent action that God is calling us to. Third, living pro-life is loving God. We talked about the second great commandment, but the first great commandment is also involved. Matthew 28, or uh, excuse me, Mark 12, says one of the scribes approached Jesus, and when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? This is the most important, Jesus answered. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. Now in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, it says this. Then God said, let us make man in our own image, into our own likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created them. Him, in the image of God, he created them male and female. Listen, let me connect these two verses for you. One that talks about how our great commandment is to love God. And the other verse that talks about how God made us in His image. Here's how those two verses are connected. As Christians, we love and respect people, not because we worship people, but because we worship God by honoring His image that is present in every man. Do you see that? The goal of the pro-life Christian is ultimately the glorification of God by treating his creation, mankind, as he does and as he commands us to. The question is, do you and I see God's image in the people around us? i got to tell you, folks, there's no throwaway people. If you're struggling with confidence, with, with depression, with your own self-image today, you need to believe the truths of the Scriptures 
that you're made in the image of God and that there's value there. If you're a person that's going to your work frustrated and angry and sore and bitter at those around you, you should repent and realize that those people, even though they are plagued with sin as you are, are still people that deserve honor and respect because there's dignity in them. They were made in the image of God. Even if they're not living it, God's image is there. Fourth, living pro-life means living out the Great Commission. Matthew 28, Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus' command for us is to make disciples of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, there's a beautiful verse of scripture that, is, that says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. How we can be saved from our sin. How each of us has, as James said, we've broken one part of the law, so we've broken it all. And so one day we will stand before God guilty and deserving of judgment because we did not live the life he gave us the way he told us to live it. We have sinned against God and we have sinned against man, all of us, except one person. And that one person fulfilled what God asked of him, lived a perfect life, and then died on a cross that he did not have to die on because he was innocent. But on that cross, a transaction took place. A payment was given. He laid down his life. As the scriptures say, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And on that cross, he took the punishment for those who would believe in him. He went to that cross when we should have gone to that cross. He was our substitute because of his mercy and his grace. And that man is Jesus Christ. And you and I can be saved by him. If you've never been saved before, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you can be saved by the work of the cross if you will simply trust in Jesus Christ. He's already done the work for you. What you need to do is have faith in him and trust and ask him to save you. Ask that the cross count for you. That's the gospel. And as Christians, this good news of the gospel, that we... We don't work our way to God. We can't earn our way to God. But the good news is God came down to us. And as Christians, our greatest expression of pro-life love, hear me, our greatest expression of pro-life love is showing people the salvation and the redemption of their lives that is found in knowing Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Our ultimate goal is not only to honor the image of God in every person, but to see that person, the image of God, freed from the curse of sin and healed in order to know and love their creator. That's the ultimate pro-life goal. We're all about restoring that image of God in people by taking them the gospel. That's what really being pro-life is about. That's pro-eternal life. You get what I'm saying? So if you, want, if you want to be pro-life and if I want to be pro-life, Here's a simple way to say it. Don't just feed people bread. Give them the bread of life, Jesus Christ. 
that's being pro-life. What good is it to give people bread, to put socks on their feet, to give them a house, to clothe them and shelter them, if they die and are judged for their sins because they've never heard the gospel come out of your mouth? Living pro-life means living out the Great Commission. It means that that's our end game. We do all the other stuff because we love and we honor God, but our greatest hope is to be able to take this beautiful gospel, this beautiful news of Jesus to them and say, look, here is life. Please take it. And we want to see them follow Jesus and become his disciples. Finally this morning, living pro-life requires dependence on God. God is the pro-life God. He's the creator of life. He's the sustainer of life. And his desire is to protect human life. Listen to this. Listen to these verses of Scripture. It was God who gave these commandments to the people of Israel. Thou shalt not murder. Genesis 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. In Proverbs chapter 6, it says this about God's heart. It said, the Lord hates hands that shed innocent blood. He hates it. And there is no greater love in existence than God's love. And I can guarantee you there's no, there's no greater hatred in existence than God's hatred for sin. And it says he hates hands that shed innocent blood. Two verses of scripture I want to I show you this morning. The first come, comes from Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. This is what it says about mankind. What God says. It says, What is man? This is David speaking. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And one of the verses that just gives me such great encouragement, it just lifts my soul, is this verse from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? What an uplifting concept to know that our God values us. He doesn't worship us. But he values us and he loves us. God cares for us. He cares for you this morning. And you're valuable to him, as is all mankind. And so this pro-life mission is his mission. This pro-life heart is his heart. And so if we're going to be free of our own self-centeredness in order to care about others as he does, then we have to draw near to him and be changed to be like him. If we're going to live pro-life, we have to draw our love and our strength from him, from his grace. Being pro-life means we're ready to honor the image of God that's present in others. And that we're ready to accept his mission to reach out to them with the gospel of salvation. This morning, as a call to action, we're going to watch a video. Do we have the video, guys? We're going to watch a video. and I just want you to think about, during this video, I'd like you just to think about how can I be more pro-life? How can I be a voice for those who don't have one? What does God require of me and what is God calling me to? in this pro-life fight. Let's watch together. God created mankind in his own
own image, he created them male and female in the image of God. Like a set of new glasses that helps us see the world with greater clarity, seeing people through God's eyes changes how we respond to them. From the formation of a child's first tiny self to life's final breath, all life has dignity and value. Because each and every one of us is made in the image of God. And that is why when we talk about being pro-life, it's not just about a political issue. It's a worldview. It's a life view. It's a way of looking at each human life that transcends culture, class, race, age, and opinion, knowing that we are all uniquely created in the image of God. The sanctity of human life is deeply rooted in scripture and modeled through the life of Jesus Christ who said, Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. When we begin to see others as God sees them, we're moved to care more deeply about those created in His image. And we will live each day in a way that honors our Creator. We won't see the scriptures as mere words, but as commands to express His heart through our actions. Commands like speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And ensure justice for those being crushed. Or love your neighbor as yourself. The sanctity of human life speaks to ancient questions that span all of time and every culture. Questions like, who is God? Who am I? Who is my neighbor? Jesus responded to those questions with the story of the Good Samaritan, who saw another man who was broken and bleeding. And instead of looking the other way as others had, he stopped. And cared for that man, even at great cost to himself. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Don't be silent in the face of injustice but be a voice for those who cannot speak for themselves. Let us shine a light on practices that distort human dignity, like human trafficking and the cycle of poverty that limits God-given potential and dreams. Make sacrifices to meet the needs of those dying preventable deaths because they lack food, medicine, and clean water. Embrace those with special needs as a special reflection of the image of our Creator God. Let us see people as God sees them. Seeing their needs and having mercy on them. Because every person is made in the image of God. So reach out to orphans in distant lands or the foster child in our own backyard who is waiting, hoping, and praying for a family to call their own. May we not pass judgment on the woman facing an unexpected pregnancy. But surround her with support helping her to see the child growing within her as a unique person with a life as valuable as her own. Let us care for the widow in distress and loneliness. And let us befriend those in prison. Let us rejoice in the image of God as expressed through various skin colors and ethnic traditions. Refusing to tolerate racist attitudes that mock the one that created us. Let us choose to see those who disagree with us as God sees them treating them with respect and dignity while helping them to open their eyes to see the beauty and value of life. That is what it means to be pro-life. This is why we need to be a voice.
Father, we are amazed at your love, but not enough. God, your heart for us and your mercy and your grace, it ought to drive us. It ought to compel us to be overflowing with love for you and grace and forgiveness and compassion for those that are around us. Father, we need you today. We need you to melt our cold hearts. We need you to encourage us when we doubt, when we don't have faith. God, we need your strength to love others and to do your will. Father, we thank you for letting us worship you. We thank you for, sh for shining light on who you are so that we can see your beauty and your majesty and your glory and so that we can have strength and we can have hope when the light is shown on the evils around us. Help us to be a voice. Help us to live for you in this dark age. Help us to take a stand. Give us courage. Help us to be who we were created to be. We thank you for your gospel, Lord. We thank you for sending your son. The Samaritan was great. He gave of his time and his money and his energy. The great cost of himself, God, but you have given a very great cost to yourself. You gave your son. And we're so thankful that you have given us life through your sacrifice and your gift. Help us to continue to honor you this morning, Lord. And we pray you help us all be pro-life for your name's sake. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.